Hey everyone, I'm Chad Grills, the CEO and founder of Mission.org, and welcome to Investing Week here on Mission Daily. Thanks for listening, and today's episode is brought to you by us at Mission.org. If you're not getting our newsletter yet, you need to. It's incredible, it's curated with love, kindness, and care by our incredible team here at The Mission. Sign up at mission.org and we'll see you on the inside. Investing week. That is what we are focusing on on the Mission Daily this week. It has been so fun. This is Stephanie Postles joined by Chad Grills. What's up, everyone? How's it going? It's going great. So last episode, you teased everyone about a story Yes. really pulled me in about, I think it was Bill Gates, right? Yeah. All right. So are you going to start with that? Or are you going to make me wait till the end? I'll just keep rambling on and on. And then eventually I'll go back to it. But this episode, we're, we're going to talk about some personal, like these are, these are all really personal questions that I have created to help guide myself as we start to think more and more and take on capital partnerships. A lot of the capital partnerships and investment that we've taken on initially has been very small. It's exploratory, but I'm a big believer that you want to test things out before you go all in. You want to see what it's like working with somebody in a certain capacity before you commit to working together hand in hand for 10 years. You want to be super, super careful about that. Capital partnerships are like marriages and all great marriages start with stories about Bill Gates. So let's get to it. Okay. Didn't see that one coming. All right. But today's episode is going to be a two-part series. We're going to be talking about the 50 questions founders should ask themselves about Mm -hmm. investors. Don't worry, we're not going to do all 50 questions, but we are going to break it up into two parts. Yeah. And if you want to get all 50 questions, though, you can go over to mission.org and we will, yeah, when you sign up for the newsletter, you can get the 50 questions founders should ask their investors or should be thinking about. So a lot of these questions, caveat here, if you ask these to investors that you do not know that you're not friends with, you might get a pretty crazy response. They might freak out And a lot of investors do not want to work with entrepreneurs who are empowered with information. And that's a red flag. You can get away from them. So you don't have to ask these out loud, really. And we're going to tell two stories here that if you don't listen to anything else, if you don't go over to mission.org and sign up for the newsletter and get all of these questions. I mean, you should. You should. (laughs) But these these two stories, basically, I think they've been illuminating for me. And I hope they are for you as well. Yep. So let's start. Quick side note first. I'm the one that's trying to tell the story about Bill Gates here. I mean, you are. (laughs) However, if you're listening and you're like, I'm not going to raise money ever. I'm not even starting a business. I'm not doing any of this stuff. Like, I don't want to listen to this episode. A lot of these questions, when I was reading through them, I'm like, these are very applicable to life. For your spouse. To friendships, spouses, family members, everything. Like, these questions are a really good starting point for many, many things in life. So although this episode will be tailored towards, you know, trying to figure out which investors you should work with sure. in your business. I mean, this is very applicable to life. So, oh, definitely. okay, I will and let you tell your Bill Gates for, story now. For people, <laughs> um, you know, now you're trying to t- take me away from it. But I just <laughs> want to point out too, for people that are, you know, working with their parents or aging parents or family, like ultimately the financial health of your family, you're in a capital relationship with those people where you have a partnership going. And it's uh, something that people don't want to discuss, but at the end of the day, like your financial well-being is tied in with your family, and for better or worse, that's the case. The same thing with a spouse. 
business owner, when you work for a company, your financial well-being is tied with the fate of the company. That's the what you've signed on to do. When you start a business, same thing. So here's a story about Bill Gates that is what you need to remember whenever you're thinking about working with investors. I feel like I was... You need to do a drum roll at this point because I kept cutting you off. <laughs> no, that's no, right. That's I've cut you off. God knows how many times. Sorry. So Bill Gates, it's early in his career at Microsoft and venture capitalists are start, starting to reach out to him. Key point of that story. He's not going around pitching venture capitalists. Do not pitch investors. Do not go out seeking investment. Please don't do that. You're not going to get good terms. It's not going to be in a situation where you can win. Steph's reminding me to smile here because I'm <laughs> Sounds so intense. I'm intense. I'm serious <laughs> about this stuff because it matters. People are going around ruining decades of their lives because they're going out trying to pitch investors. Don't do it. Sometimes you might have to do it. And in a case where you know you just need money in the door, you're sure about it, do it. Action is better than inaction and taking that risk where you're going to be forced to learn about it with a partner. Maybe that partnership doesn't, it goes south, it goes sour. That's fine. The learning that you gain is going to be invaluable. But generally, if you're looking to build something long-term, if you're looking to partner with investors that are not going to turn into monsters and turn you into a slave working for them, you have to think about this. He had the investors come to him. So in Silicon Valley, it's people think that there are a lot of entrepreneurs going around pitching investors. They are. But guess what is a common trait of all of the most successful deals? They wait for the investors to come to them. The investors come to them. Yep. The founder will basically start contact with people to get to know them. We'll talk more about this in the second story I'm going to tell here, but back to Bill Gates. So this one venture capitalist really gets his attention. Basically, everybody else, he's brushed them off because this is back in the day where people were entrepreneurs were raising $7 million on an $8 million valuation and going around bragging about it. That's a horrible, horrible situation to be in. It's preferable to a lot of others, but uh, it's you know not the best terms. Anyways, back to Bill Gates. This one venture capitalist though catches his attention. He works his way in. He delivers value. And Bill's talking to him and he says, Dave, you keep saying you really want to invest. I don't know what you're going to be like as a capital partner, I don't know what how you would treat the percentage of equity I would give you in exchange for cash. So here's what I'm going to do. Over the next six months, pretend you're an equity partner. That's it. See you later, Dave. <laughs> and it sounds harsh. Maybe you have to practice saying that many times before you react to investors with that, before you bring that up with them. Challenge them. So many employers do that. Employers do that with test assignments all the time. You do that in your own life with personal relationships. You want to see how somebody is before you don't get married on the first date. There aren't people going around asking people like on the first or second meeting if they will marry them. Why are entrepreneurs doing this? Why are you doing this as a founder? Why are you thinking that money is a problem? The greatest business success stories of all time, like Microsoft, people forget Gates only raised $1 million. He didn't even spend any of it. He kept most of it in the bank as just a nice to have cushion. Many entrepreneurs do this. The amount of capital you, you raise is not a metric of success. It might make it much easier to succeed and create the illusion of massive wealth, but ultimately that's just capital raised. That is capital raised off of a valuation that 
may or may not be accurate. And it's oftentimes you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. So the name of the game in entrepreneurship and investing and as a founder isn't raising a ton of money for random reasons or to say that you have or to brag about the number. The, the name of the game is capital allocation. And the name of the game is giving away the smallest amount of equity possible and doing doing as much as you can with it. The yep. name, the name of the game is taking- I think it's also not going when you're desperate, not waiting oh, until definitely. like, you know, a lot of these founders who are going around the valley right now pitching investors, they're at the very end. Don't they do that. don't have money and yeah. they're desperate. And that is the worst time to start putting out those feelers, to build those relationships, yeah. to see how it goes. Like you should be doing that when everything's going great and you can, I mean, just kind of be like, well, I actually don't need you. It'd be wonderful to find a really long-term partnership yeah. with someone that we can, you know, be in a partnership for decades to come and you're betting on me. However, if you don't see what I'm doing and you don't see the long-term vision of what I'm doing, mm. that's okay because I actually don't need money right now. There's a lot of different options. If you do need money, you could go, like you said, to banks, family and friends. There's so many other alternatives. But if you wait until that point of when you're desperate and you ran out of funds and you are pitching, just going around the valley or wherever, pitching mm-hmm. investors, not a good place to be. No. And uh, I want to add a challenge here too. Even if you are desperate, that's okay. Go out. But you should be going out focused on selling. You should be going out focused on getting your revenue up and you should be starting to take meetings. You don't necessarily have to be actively raising when you take those meetings. Some investors won't meet with you. It doesn't matter. Just try to meet with some, build up the relationships because this brings us to a second story that I that I heard, that I internalized, but I didn't appreciate just how honest it was. So this story comes from the uh, CEO of what was for many years, the largest uh maybe not the largest, but maybe top two or three largest media companies in the world. He was the CEO of this company. Prior to that, he was at Apple, worked with Steve Jobs, among many other things, uh, multiple exits, things like that. Super successful guy financially. And his advice to me was, he was one of the first people I met when I came out to Silicon Valley, was the best deals, the best investments that VCs make and everything, they invest in their friends. Hearing that can be like demoralizing. You can think like, oh, that's, you know, pay for, pay for play. People think of like, that's basically like, it's not fair, but you you can't think that way. People do business with others who they know, like, and trust. And you have to play the long game. In order to do that, you have to get to know those people now. You have to get in that ecosystem. You have to get comfortable hanging out with billionaires. It does not come naturally if you're not from wealth. I am not from wealth. I'm not from a family that was wealthy. I am not from a family that viewed wealth in a positive light. And that's okay. Many people are not, they're not in that position either. And I, you know, I'm telling you all this, I'm, we're doing the investing week and stuff. You know, I have a profitable business. I've raised money from top tier venture firms, two of them, in fact. And that's not the name of the game. That's not the goal. Finding long-term capital partners who are very, very excited about you, your team, and your vision, and ensuring that they're excited about what you're saying. That takes a long time. The amount of communication necessary to ensure that both sides agree on, here's what we're doing, here's why, here's the expected value add that you expect me to bring to the table as an investor. And as an entrepreneur, you need to be crystal clear about what do you want your capital partners to do for you? And let's jump into the series of questions here because yeah, those two stories, they can be your guidepost for for a lot of things and avoiding a lot of pain and uh, a heartache. I hope they are. But I think these questions will help take 
your mindset on finding capital partners to a whole new level. So let's jump into it. All right. Let me go through them. First question. So I got to go through the list and pick out my favorite ones. So you are at my mercy, sir. (laughs) All right. Question one. Why are they doing VC instead of building another company? Yeah. And so this question I got from Jeff Bezos, who when Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz were starting A16Z, a top tier venture firm, I love them because they're pursuing a three and 30 model instead of two and 20. So in venture capital, most VCs take 2% every year as a management fee, and then they take 20% of the upside of any value they create. So that model is basically impossible to make money on. It's uh, not fair to the VCs. It's not fair to the entrepreneurs. And this is definitely a contrarian view, but, and it's, it's very, very hard to examine something like that and realize just how unfair it is to the VCs and to the entrepreneurs. It sounds like a lot of money, uh, it's not. Unfortunately, you'll hear so much noise in the entrepreneurial ecosystem about it's never been cheaper to start a business. It's never, yeah, it's never been cheaper to start a business. It's also never been more difficult to keep one going and break out and achieve any type of scale where you can start to have a great business that has positive cash flows and that has profits or yeah, that look has at the percentages technology. behind yeah. the amount of companies that get past hundred thousand dollar in revenue, and then the amount of companies that get past million dollar annual revenue. Yep. It's, I mean, the it's amount just drops off. It's so small after yep. that. It's crazy. Yeah. After you hit over seven figures in revenue, and as you start to approach eight figures in revenue, and then the speed at which you can do that too, these, these are all very important variables to study. But generally, the rate of entrepreneurship, the rate of new businesses that start, that survive, it's falling. This is a dangerous trend. This is really, really dangerous. It is not a good sign. And the amount of businesses that achieve. A lot of people talk about unicorns, like don't care, doesn't matter. Like that's great that a lot of businesses are valued at a billion dollars, but the amount of businesses that are able to reach that milestone where the founding team controls a majority of equity are astonishingly low. And the goal isn't to become a unicorn and only own a couple points of equity. There are a couple of founders who recently IPO'd their company and achieved the, you know, the ultimate outcome. And meanwhile, the board is trying to figure out how to give them more shares because they they only own like 1.5% of the company, something absurd. And you don't want to be in that position. And just because a lot of VCs and the entrepreneurial community say that, oh, we don't replace the founding CEO. We want you to be the founding CEO. Well, you don't want to be the founding CEO if you only own a couple percentage percentage points of the company. Yeah. What incentive is there <laughs> if you own like nothing? It's so- Might as well start a new company. Yeah. Investors are so, so tricky. And like so much of finance is there are a lot of people who think that they have achieved some massive milestone and they're they're working like a dog for some someone else. And that's not what we want. So the two and 20 model is- I am just going to call it right here. It's not sustainable over the long term, and it's not going to lead to a place where we have a vibrant economy and a lot of high-paying jobs. And uh, it's we're not going to replace horrible, boring, monotonous work with AI and with robotics until we get past the antiquated two and twenty model. We need to move to three and thirty, four and forty. And I would not be surprised in the future if LPs and VCs have to agree to something that's closer to a share, like a half share of the profits, and that's. There's probably like a handful of uh, qualified LPs who are listening to this that just run in, yeah. in terror, like, who that? Shut up, shut them up. But I, I, that's what's going to happen. And uh, we should do a whole episode on this, I'm thinking. Yeah. And um, a, a lot of investors, too, like, because they have, it's so hard 
in America to raise money from LPs for venture capital right now, which is a very troubling sign. If you're familiar with AngelList, you've seen Naval Ravikant. He had to, not had to, but he took a large check from Chinese investors. And it's easy to look at that and say, like, why aren't you taking money from American investors? Like, he's tried. And, you know, maybe there that capital wasn't there, but that's one sign I, I see as really problematic where I've, and I've heard anecdotally from many people that raising money from LPs for venture capital in the US is becoming increasingly hard. And so I applaud A16Z for having the guts to do a three and 30 model in an industry that's dominated by the two and 20. So that right there is something you want to look for as well is, you know, what type of agreement do my investors have with their LPs? That the was people one of my who are putting money in the, in the fund. You Sorry. already tackled it. You didn't actually I'll answer my first question and you just <laughs> jumped to my sixth question about what is the funding model and an investment thesis of the firm. So now we know you like three and 30 or more. Yeah. Or you think that's the... I think it's the future. All right. That's the future. But can we circle back to when you're talking Please to... Please do. I kind of blacked out and went on my uh, rant. <laughs> seriously did. I'm like, hey, hello. You're over in Utah and I'm trying to pull you back to California right now. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So you're going and you're approaching investors and they have a venture capital firm. And the question was, why do you have a VC firm instead of building another company? And mm-hmm. you said that Jeff Bezos was asking Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz why they had a VC firm when, you know, they're, they, yeah. they're, they were <clears throat> founders. They started great companies. Why aren't you doing that again? So why is that such a good question to ask? So it's such a good question because if you have great ideas, like the best place to deploy them is typically inside your own company. And for a number of different reasons, uh, Mark and Ben wanted to do VC. And sometimes that's fine. You know, if you're if you're a billionaire who's achieved multiple exits or you have some highly specific reason why you want to get into VC, great. That's, what was their uh, answer? More do you power know? To yeah. Pain. Pain of building companies. Too painful. Oh, yeah. Not doing it. And yeah. an, another friend who's in VC has basically said, like, that's what you do when you don't want to work anymore. He, of course, like still works and everything. He still, still works very hard. But the type of work and the amount of skin in the game is far, far less than being an entrepreneur. So most entrepreneurs typically have you know, one business, two, sometimes three. In the case of like Elon Musk, have three businesses. But you know, a VC has a portfolio of opportunities. And on top of that, they're taking a 2% management fee each year from the total amount of the fund. Although it's too small, it's still a very steady paycheck. And that that paycheck is often, you know, 10 times what the entrepreneur themselves is making for doing the company. And, yeah. Yeah. and it sounds like we're not set. The answer doesn't have to be one or the other. It sure. doesn't have to be a perfect answer. It's more no. of it is the answer something that you agree with. So Just in Mark and Ben's case, like what is their answer? And is it something that you, you know, think is okay or that you're it's a good answer? Yeah, is it a good answer? If so, that's all right. All right, on to the next one because I have a very big list and this episode's about to be very long. <laughs> All right, so next. As F. Scott Fitzgerald says, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. So you're in this article that we wrote, we said, can the investor do that? So why is it so important for the investor to be able to hold two opposing ideas in their mind at the same time? Well, it's like we talked about before, the middle path or a path that is not at one polar end of the spectrum of decisions is is usually the best one. Life is filled with grace. It's not white and black. And the more you can find someone that can treat each major decision point as a unique thing. And if you can find someone who recognizes that each moment in business is brand new, never happened before. It's never happened with anyone else. It will never happen with anyone again. And the second you start to 
use your mental models to make decisions and you use the same mental models for everything or you start to emulate who you perceive to be a successful entrepreneur, you're failing. You have to think for yourself and you have to find capital partners who are thinking for themselves. Yep. And I love that too, because you see so many investors around here where they just jump on one trend and they're like, I am only investing in like crypto yeah. or I am only doing this, which maybe is fine. However, if it's the type of person who can't see outside of anything else, maybe not the best investor to go with if they're so attached to one spectrum of an idea and they've never even thought about, well, maybe actually this industry needs 10 more years to mature. I'm not saying I believe that, but you know, you want someone who's kind of thought through all the different scenarios so you know that they're able to help you when it comes to you Definitely. coming to them with questions and asking them for mentorship. You need someone who can think through the whole entire you know, lifetime of yeah. your idea and what it could look like based on all the trends around us. Yeah. And I think, too, you want someone who is uh, aware of trends, but doesn't invest based on trends because that's like investing on uh, basically like fashion. You might get a couple wins. You might have some initial pops when things are riding waves in the zeitgeist. That's fine. You should learn how to do those things, but generally stay away from people who are hyper focused on trends. Yep. All right. So this one, it seems like it's kind of obvious, but I think enough people don't actually ask this question where if someone just comes to them offering money, they're just like, yes, 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 yes. Okay. So this question is, how will their expertise, knowledge, and connections help you and the company? Yeah, it's just a basic basic question there. Just think about that. List it out. Write it out. And uh, if there are specific introductions you would like them to make, list them beforehand. Before you get the term sheet, before you get the offer, have a list of asks. Like, hey, can you really introduce me to this person? Because it's fine. A a lot of people say things in meetings, but it comes down to, are they going to do it? And when people really want a deal to close, they might say any number of different things. And after the deal closes, it's still an open-ended question. Like, are they actually going to introduce you? Are they going to do anything afterwards? Yeah. So you have to think about that beforehand. Yep. And I really like the memories of the early days of the mission when we started having a little inkling of success. And all of a sudden, these investors started coming out of the woodwork <laughs> and you know wanting to like give us some investment money and their ideas were so bad. Like, do you remember some of the ideas they're telling us you should do this, you should do that. They had no like expertise in what we are doing with media. I am so convinced that (laughs) the venture capital community in Silicon Valley, which is the best in the world, has no idea what media is or how to invest in it. I'm perfectly happy with saying that. Neither does the LA investment community. They have no, no idea. There are people that are in the space that have been in the space for years that have trouble thinking of things outside of a product-based company. In media, you don't have a singular product. It's so rare that you have a singular product. You have a portfolio approach and that can be very intimidating for, because here's a dark secret of a lot of venture capital, a lot of investing. They prefer founders to have a single product and singular focus because you have way less power, way less power. You do not have optionality. You do not have multiple streams of income. You are not learning as fast as you would if maybe the right number of products for your business, for your company is three. Maybe it's the right number to start with four, to start with five. It's no accident that a lot of successful entrepreneurs incubate many ideas simultaneously. If you have an investor that only wants you to do one thing, be careful. Don't don't get into that situation. So many people think that, oh, this investor is really supporting me and stuff. No, the only reason they backed you is because they have a specific company that they want to sell your company to in a specified period of time. 
And so Ian says this a lot, but your investor's business model, it becomes your business model when you partner with them. And you need to be a very, very aware of what their business model actually is before you partner with them. Yep. And understanding the influences that they have that are maybe affecting the decisions that they're telling you. So I remember a couple people coming and saying, oh my gosh, like you and Stephanie started, like founded the company together. I would never work with my wife, husband, whatever. That's such a bad idea. It's and a go, Rorschach test of wh- how, how their relationship is. It's, yeah, exactly. It's so it's blatantly like, obvious. I'm sorry that you've had, you know, any kind of issues you've had, but you shouldn't project that onto us and act like you're the expert you know, to tell us what to do. So anyways. But these things are great because otherwise you don't get to know people. So when people react viscerally, it can be disheartening to a lot of entrepreneurs. Don't be disheartened by that. That type of friction and that type of, uh, you know, radical candor or arguments with people. A lot of people shy away from that. Don't shy away from that. Be willing to get into arguments with people who might later become capital partners. Uh, A lot of VCs too, they won't tell you this, but they're looking for entrepreneurs that are not just a little abrasive, They're looking for people who will argue intensely in meetings. They're looking for people who will go all in to defend something when they're right. And don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to explore that in meetings. Like the local quote unquote, like angel investor of your community who goes around because they love to get pitched by entrepreneurs. They're not going to react well, but the best investors in the world, they might like founders who have a little bit of fight in them. And I mean, of course, that's an understatement. Yeah. All right. So you have two more questions. That we're going to go over. Let's yeah. see if you can actually tackle it in five minutes or less. Huh? huh? <laughs> oh, just let me just point oh, out gosh. something quick too. <laughs> so I, uh, I absolutely love the in- investors that we have now. I yeah. love, I, yeah, I love too. them. They and feel more we, like family. That's why I like it. That's who and, you want. And, and they're not, they're not, uh, they're not huge investors for both of these investors. It's like a microscopic check uh, that they, they invested. Like we compared to their portfolio oh, and other super, investors. super yep. small angel check. But the, the point here is that this is, this is not any type of like bitterness or anything like that, but I do want to help you avoid pain. Agree. All right. Next question. Who are their mentors and who do they learn from? Such a good thing to ask. Yeah. Who them. are they becoming? Yep. You want to find, find out who are they becoming? That's for sure. And are they just studying their peers or are they studying legends? Are they studying the history of venture capital? So are they studying uh, historical boom and bust cycles? Are they studying, you know, there's a whole subject matter area where you want to see what books they're reading, what they're thinking about, who they follow on social media, if they use social media at all. And yeah. You are the average of the five. All right. And then the next one, which is kind of similar, is do they take care of themselves physically and mentally? And why I love this one is because I remember a whole tweet storm going around where an actual VC firm in the Valley put out a quote, like one of the investors there said, or it was implying that you should not be sleeping if you're not, you know, making a certain amount of revenue or if you're not at a certain point, like you should not be sleeping. And it was actually really wonderful because a couple of the women-led VC firms, I think one of them's like Angel something. Anyways, a couple of them are in New York, all started like going after this guy of like, why would you ever want to encourage your portfolio companies to be unhealthy like that. That is not how you set up a good founder, CEO. That is not how you have successful results. And it was so great because I think a lot of people have gotten in that mindset of like, you got to do what it takes to make a successful company. And it's really good to first look at the investor themselves and say, are you physically and mentally, you know, doing the best thing for yourself? Definitely. Because I mean, what that investor is saying is basically like, I am so stressed out about money that I don't want my entrepreneurs and the founders that I invest in to, to sleep like that. It's down, it's down to the wire for me. 
So I need to, you know, basically ratchet up the pain on other people. And like, you know, maybe it's not always the case, but typically when you get into territory where somebody's like, you know, don't sleep, don't eat until you blah, 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 achieve the the impossible. It's a, a warning sign for sure. I agree. All right. So we are wrapping it up here as the part one. Part two, we're going to come back and finish the other questions that I highlighted. Questions you should be asking your investors. Let's do it. And for the full list, you can get that at mission.org. Go, so go get it. <laughs> so, 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 go get it. We'll see you in the see next, next episode. Mission.org is a media company with a daily newsletter, network of podcasts, and brand studio designed to accelerate learning. Head to mission.org to get award-winning podcasts like The Mission Daily, The Story, IT Visionaries, Education Trends, Marketing Trends, Future of Cities, and more. Mission Studios has worked with companies like Salesforce, Twilio, and Katera to create custom media channels that drive results. Make sure to subscribe to the Mission's daily newsletter at mission.org. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.